Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sarkin. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. This week, we bring you a special sponsored episode celebrating Black History Month featuring a series of reviews of films from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment Vault. This month's theme will be Black films that have become cultural phenomenons. And we're going to dissect why that is. They're all available to own on digital and disc with deleted scenes, special features, and we're going to dive into that as well. So each week we're discussing a movie that represents a different genre of film. And thank you to Universal Pictures for the paid support of this episode. And in this episode, we will be discussing the comedy that became a cultural phenomenon, Girls Trip. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day of life. My heart is so full of joy for these women right here. Lord, please make sure that Lisa don't get an STD and that nobody has kidney failure because we finna get messed up and let me get pregnant by somebody rich. That's all I ask. Amen. We haven't hung in five years. I miss you guys. We need a girl's trip. That's my car. Not anymore, baby. What if I just whip out my titties, you know? Okay, a titty. I'll take a titty for a bike ride. Sure, you want to get turned this weekend with your girls? I say this out of love. Preach, girl. Mm. If you are going to come along with us, please refrain from saying things like preach or go girl or any other colloquialisms that you may have looked up on Urban Dictionary. Girl, bye. my girl. This weekend is about us. We deserve this. So let's go. Yeah. Destiny said that you gotta get up and get Pete. Look, the line is short over there. There's a long line in the bathroom here. Just go for it. Uh, hey, stop taking that picture. Oh, no. I've known about this for a few months now, but that's in the past. The picture was taken last night. We need to talk. There ain't nothing you need to say to her that you can't say in front of us. Take my son down. Just tag him in a ball. Today is the last day that we will ever be this young. I have not had this much fun in so long. Wait. I got what you need right here. This is 200-year-old abstinence. You drink too much of it. It's gonna have you hallucinate. Do y'all feel funny? <laughs> feel me, y'all feel me. <laughs> you coming to give me God? You put something in them drinks, didn't you? <laughs> you know I got some bomb ass cushion if you wanna take a hit. Where did you hide? Where the sun don't shine. You know what? It can cause a lot of infection. Girl, you can't get no infection in your booty hoe. It's a Well, Mike, I'm pretty excited about the second episode. In the first episode, we did Get Out, and now we're doing Girls Trip. And I'm going to begin with the same question that I asked you in the last episode. When you first saw Girls Trip, what was your immediate reaction? 
it's the kind of film that falls into the category of a bachelor party or more recently bridesmaids, you know, a wild, wacky comedy about a bunch of friends who have some misadventures. So that's kind of what I went in expecting because it is a genre. It's a genre of film. But I also right. knew that it's going to be directed by Malcolm Lee and it was going to mm. be written by Kenya Barris. And produced by Will Packer. So there were a lot of things about it that gave it a certain pedigree. For every Bridesmaids, there's a ton of other films that just don't work, whether it's young people, <laughs> right. old people, whatever. Just a group of friends on a trip. The Hangover 1 was good, but 2 and 3 were abysmal. So my first reaction was like, I'm open. I I'm hoping that this is going to be good. All right, now, Jack, I'm going to ask you, what did you think of Girls Trip? What was your initial reaction before you went in and then once you first saw it? Dude, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I had never seen anything like that. And I think this is why this series in particular for me is like this sort of like awakening because I'm remembering that these were black films that I had never seen black characters portrayed in this way. So to me, it was like novelty, dude. It was like, oh my God, it's Bridesmaids, but with this black cast that is equivalent to the comedy and the uniqueness and the magic and the chemistry of all the cast together. It had that same quality. And it's the reason that Bridesmaids made $300 million and Girls Trip made $100 million. It was like one of the first times. So for me, much like Get Out, like I had never seen a black horror movie that way. I had never seen raunch, black female raunch comedy in this way it's almost like hollywood and gatekeepers never allowed women to ever have a platform to be able to tell that type of story man and i'm telling you they should have been doing this 20 years ago You know, when you think about Queen Latifah with these four women, you have to think about Queen Latifah back in 1993 when she was one of the co-stars of a very popular show, one of the most popular African-American shows in TV history, Living Single, that was on Fox. This came a year before Friends. And I remember an interview where Yvette Lee Bowser, who had created that show, she had said that her overall goal was to portray black characters positively and less stereotypical. And I think that what Malcolm and Will Packer did in this and, you know, Kenya Barris and, and Tracy Oliver is that the level of authenticity that is here is historic. It is a, a trailblazer moment. It's a, it's a watershed moment that I don't think a lot of people talk about. It made $100 million at the box office, Mike. We had never seen anything like this. A lot of people said that they it couldn't be done. And here we are talking about Girl Strip as a, as a cultural touchstone of American pop culture. So I think a movie like this will be talked about years to come. As a black person, there are a lot of things that are, you know, within your community. There, there's phraseology that's within your community. There are terms, there are things that if you know, you know, like if you're black, you know. And the thing about seeing 
females, women do it now. Again, I, I'm, I could say I have a, a, quite a number of black female friends. I have two black sisters, you know, so, and I have a black mother too. So black women are something that I'm very familiar <laughs> with, how, how they relate to each other, but it's not something that's portrayed on screen in this type of genre. We could, we could talk about what the actual story is and who the characters are in a minute, but the idea of seeing uh, what I call something that's, and, and I think all these films that, that we're going to be talking about over this month are unapologetically black. Yes. Oh, yes. And Girl Strip definitely fits that mark. It is. And, and my, Girl Strip is also a perfect example of how the genre of comedy can talk about a number of things that might be too heavy-handed or preachy to get into in a drama or another type of story. While on the surface, the plot is, you know, four friends get together and they're, they're old friends. They drifted apart for five years. Now, that's the first thing you can relate to. You know, you have friends that you ran with and then you drift apart. That right there, that's a connection, I think, that's universal. Everybody can relate to somebody that they used to hang out with when they were younger or when life didn't get so busy. Absolutely. And you always say you're going to get together. That happens in every know? culture. Now, then they're going to reconnect, and, and this is at the Essence Awards in New Orleans. And it's for women, so uh, an event, it's sort of like guys going to Vegas or bachelor party where it's a guy thing. Essence is a celebration of being black and being female, being of being a woman of color. So they're going to something that is culturally significant to rebond. So there's all that just in the premise that seems simple on the surface, but all these other layers come into it just because it's a black film. When you look at the premise of Girls Trip, it's an escapist premise, correct? You have these women, like, you know, the, the movie opens up uh, with these women, these four women. Every group of friends has that one song that no matter where you are or what you're doing, it pulls you out of your seat. That was me and my crew, the Flossy Posse. The Flossy Posse, exactly. The Flossy Posse. And the members of the Flossy Posse, which, by the way, it's like TLC with an extra member, right? <laughs> and, and now all of a sudden they have these lives and it's hard to kind of get together. And what we start seeing about these women, Ryan, which is played by Regina Hall. I'm Ryan Pierce. Successful like author. Dress. You write best-selling books. You cook on talk shows. You make appearances <laughs> all across the country. How do you have time for a life? As women, we're told that we have to choose between the personal and the professional, but I control my own destiny. I am strong. I am powerful. I am beautiful. If I will it, I can have it all. A lot of her struggles is that she has to deal with her selling out, the hypocrisy of that. And we've talked about cultural compromising in other episodes here on the Brown and Black podcast. And Ryan is the avatar for that, man. Then you got Sasha Queen Latifah. A journalism major with intelligence to shine on the country's most respected publications. Then she ended up doing a um, different kind of journalism. It may not be Pulitzer Prize winning, but she's making it happen. She's going to be fine. I don't even know why. You know, we've gone through this before. Know. Who plays a gossip reporter. And she's living beyond her means and is in a questionable job that her friends don't necessarily like. Then you got Lisa, which is played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Of course there's Lisa. <laughs> Despite being the sexy party girl, she was a natural nurturer. She gave love even when it didn't love her. She's distrusting of men in relationships. And 
pretty much just committed to not having sex anymore. And then you got Dina, which is Tiffany Haddish. There was Dina. She was a risk taker. It's chlamydia, y'all. That shit you can cure. But that's our girl. Who, all onto her own, is a character that lives at her own rhythm and her own beat. Yet, somehow the chemistry works completely well there. And when I put these four women together, Mike, the thing that immediately kicks off is that these women are looking for freedom. They're looking for capitalistic freedom. They're looking for cultural freedom. And then you start thinking about the types of freedoms that these women are looking for by leaving their, I guess, real lives. Because you know that these real lives are attached to a system of oppression, especially towards black women in this country. Like black men have to deal with their own things, but black women have to deal with worse. So when these women escape, there is layers upon layers of what that escape is from. And then you go to New Orleans and the Essence Music Festival. And what does that represent? That's black women coming together for black empowerment, friendship, community, sisterhood. So from the very get-go, I started noticing that they are on a journey to freedom, to escape the system of oppression that was affecting and impacting their lives. What stood out to me about the friendship is just the whole idea. And, and this is something I, I also think people can relate to. And you tell me if this struck you as well. The idea that sometimes there are people in your life who you need to remind you of who you are because you can get lost, right. you can get caught up. And I think each character's mm -hmm. gotten a little caught up. I think, you know, the Queen Latifah character, she's doing this gossip thing. Now she's questioning, she's got her inner struggle, like whether or not what she's doing is worth her time, but her friends, they see her as being much better than what she's doing. And while they mm -hmm. may say, okay, you know, you're, you're beyond that. It hits her a different way where for her, it's like telling her, you know, you're, you're underachieving. And so right. there's history there. And that, and that's a very specific thing as, as a, a professional of color, are you where you should be? And then that's contrasted by the Regina Hall, who's at the top of quote unquote, her game, but it's all mm -hmm. a facade. Her, her marriage is, is right. bullshit. And for me, that also is something where your friends have to remind you of like, is it worth it? Like, is what you're getting worth it? Wouldn't you rather be known for who and what you really are versus this facade? Only a good friend, only somebody who really knows you can kind of pull you back down to earth and say, what the fuck are you doing? And and let me not, let's not forget, forget Jada Pinkett because Jada Pinkett's sort of like, she was crazy at one time, but now she's like <laughs> the nun. She doesn't do anything. That's also her denying herself, denying who she is because she feels she has to be something else to, to be a mom, to be, you know, to, to, to survive. So I think out of all of them, they have all compromised th themselves. But it's only Tiffany Haddish who is still herself, and she calls bullshit on all of it right away. Now, you could say, as a character, would you want to bring her to the Ritzy Club? Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but, but you also know she's that she's going to be real. At the club. 
<laughs> well, she'd be fun, but she's, she'd be real. She'd be real. Like, no matter what happens, she's going to be who she is. She's not going to put on, she's not going to act like it's okay for this guy to walk all over her friend. She's not. That's just not who she is. So either you love her or you hate her, but she is her. She is her. And she shows all of them they need to be who they are. So, Mike, in this segment, I want to talk to you about the black male perspective on Girls Trip. I want to talk about how you viewed black men portrayed in this film versus how black men are portrayed in many other films. When we think about Girls Trip, we really talk about it from a very female view only, only pretty much exclusively. We never really talk about it from the male perspective. So for you, Mike, how did you feel about how the black men were portrayed in this film? This film is about friendship. And what Malcolm D. Lee does and has done really wonderful is make films about celebrating black friendship. That's a very specific thing. The Best Man, I think, is also a cultural phenomenon and what it did for just the idea of a black-led, intelligent, romantic comedy. Now, I know Malcolm, and I've been following his work for a long time. The one thing I know about him, and, and if you watch all his films, they always have strong female characters in terms of representation. But most importantly, what what's here for me as a black man in terms of representation is that there are only a few black males characters, but it's balance. You know, So we have one male black male character who's cheating on his wife, and he sees the marriage as more of a partnership, and he's real, and he's totally willing to keep up the facade for the sake of their image. And, and, and that's a lot a of men, of period. That's a that, lot of men. That, period. Well, that, that's, that's a lot of men, but that's a lot of people. And then you got like a contrast, but then you got the contrast. You had the Lorenz Tate character who is everything that a man should be considerate, respectful, disciplined, even because he's, he's got opportunities to take advantage of the Regina Hall character because she's emotionally vulnerable, but he doesn't. So uh, because she's married, he doesn't want to give in, even though he's tempted. So we have like a corruptible black male, and then we have the mm-hmm. the uncorruptible black male. So they right. both exist. So to so me, in the universe of the film, it, it's important to have that balance. So I had no issue with how the black males are portrayed in the film. And there are other black male characters who I think are just there for, you know, comedic effect. I'll just say two grapefruits. That's all I'll say. But at the same time, (laughs) I think one of the things that the film does touch upon is the importance of being loyal, uh, loyal to yourself, being true to yourself, because the main character is considering living a lie. And I think that's something that many people of color face in terms of career, in terms of code switching, just in code of image in a a white dominated culture. I also wanted to ask you about Malcolm and Will Packer. I mean, these are men men that are involved in the creation of four black women. How is it that black men can write so well for black women? Is, is it just experience? Because I thought that in order to write a genuine female comedy, you have to be female. Tracy Oliver is a writer as well. And they had previously teamed up on barbershop the next cut. So it, it's clear that as a writing duel, they complement each other. I feel like Kenya Barris uh, has a thing that he does. And, you know, what he did with Black is he was able to take things, and, and, and again, the beauty of comedy, talk about difficult things, political things, racially charged things, and in this case, potentially um, gender-charged 
things and talk about it, make it funny. And I think Tracy Oliver, uh, and again, this is my guess because I haven't talked to Tracy Oliver, but my guess is Tracy Oliver is the one that makes sure that all of these women are believable characters and believable. And you understand not only where they are in their relationship with each other, but where they are in their lives, you know, which affects and impacts their relationship with each other. So I, I think it's that combination of, and, and of sensibilities. I also think that if I were writing with a female, uh, and I wanted to create male characters, I need to, to be able to understand those characters and, and, and understand the characters that I have to have that I'm maybe in charge of the male characters, how they're going to interact with these women. Right. Cause it's their film, but, but part of why they do what they do is the relationships they've had with men. Right. Now I want to talk to you about the raunch aspects of, of black men watching black women do raunch comedy, which is something that isn't typical at all because we just, we, we have not been allowed to see it. How do you think that black men who have grown up watching raunch comedy, whether it's white or black engaged with the raunch comedy of black women? Do you think that they enjoyed it as much? Do you think that's something new to them? And was there a learning curve? Well, first of all, I didn't grow up on raunch comedy, just so you know. I'm a kind of critic who enjoys just seeing a film, reading nothing about it, right? I I'm that kind of critic. I don't want to watch a trailer. I don't want to see anything. Just take me where you're going. But at the same time, if you know the genre that you're going to see, and in this case, this is, it is. It's a bunch of girls, grown-ass women, doing grown-ass women things, getting into hijinks. I will say it went further. You know, for me, I was like, whoa, okay, yes, there's some scenes with urine and wow. But, you know, like if you're eating popcorn, you're hoping you didn't get any of that golden flavor on it. But let me just say that I... A little butter, for Mike? One, a little like, butter? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't eat buttered popcorn during that scene. That's all I'll say. Are you more comfortable as a black man watching black female raunch comedy? For me, if I'm in the mood for that, that then then I'm in the mood for that. And it, so it doesn't really matter that it's black women doing it versus white women. Am I more comfortable seeing black women be raunchy? That's an interesting question because it's a question of just how comfortable you are with that kind of humor. Let's put it this way. I'm not a huge fan of raunch comedy. When it works, it works. But I feel it's like horror movies, mm. you know. 90% right. of horror movies are crap, but it's that 10% that makes you a fan. So if it's done well and it's really funny, I'm all for it. But raunch for raunch's sake, no. And in this case, I think the raunch was not for raunch's sake. I mean, and I enjoyed, I'll tell you what I enjoyed. I enjoyed getting to see, you know, the really stuffy character be taken down a notch by something that happens. And, and I think that that was part of the fun. Because a good movie, whether it's raunchy or not, a good comedy has setup and payoff. And I feel like there's a lot of setup and payoff here for what's going to happen. And then they go further than you expect. So, Mike, I want to move now into the deeper conversations of the film, and I want to start with something from my perspective, from a Latino perspective, on this film in particular, Girls Trip. And I didn't see it the first time because I wasn't looking for it. 
But I think after the conversations we had post Floyd and you're rewatching the movie again with a critical lens from a Latino perspective or from a racial or ethnic perspective, then I saw something that I was like, whoa. And I wanted to talk to you about it to see if I'm just like making it up. So there's a scene about 35 minutes into the movie where the four girls are heading out of their hotel room. They're getting dressed. They're about to hit the town. As they're getting dressed up, all you know, three of them are, are good. And Jada Pinkett Smith, she comes out in a Mexican garment of sorts. And as she comes out in this like sort of Mexican garment, there's Mexican music playing in the background. Do you remember any of this? I remember it, yes. It didn't stand out to me, but okay. I'm, I'm listening. So for a lot of people, it didn't stand out. But for me, it hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Like I was like being hit by eggs. Please hurry up, okay? Pete Diddy is not going to be waiting for me all night. He's a busy man. All right, almost ready. What the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, Alda. You, you got to be kidding me. I really like this outfit. I mean, this is hand-stitched embroidery from an indigenous tribe in Guatemala that's almost extinct. So they're not fucking in Guatemala? You know what? Intelligent men of academia are going to really appreciate this outfit. Oh, all right, listen. You look beautiful. Thank you. Now take it off and put this on. This dress is a mosquito net. Then maybe you'll catch something in it. Yeah, man. Lisa, you look like somebody Puerto Rican grandmother. See? Now, men will fuck almost anything, but not you in that outfit. Don't even. I already know. Tighten that up. Don't be taking all day back there either. Make it to Molly's and shit. And I was like, wow, how very interesting the way Latino culture was treated in this scene with four black women. And then I had remembered that we had a episode for Hispanic Heritage Month, and we had done an episode to see what Hispanic history or Latino culture history black people knew. And what I got out of that was it felt like they didn't really know us very well. So then I'm here pretty much being reaffirmed once again that Mexican, Guatemalan, Puerto Rican is pretty much the same thing for these four black characters. And that shows me a representation farther because someone wrote that. Kenya Tracy. So is it their perspective? Is it that they see Latinos as just one group as opposed to 32 countries with 32 different cultures and that exchange of Mexican music and then the Puerto Rican remark, and then this was really from Guatemala. I'm going, if I'm a Latino, black community doesn't get Latinos. And you know what's the most ironic thing? Is that Latino people know more about white and black culture than we know our own. And that to me is sad. That there's a lack of education in who we are as a culture. And that portion 
reminded me how far we still have to go. This movie was just like, you know, in 2017. But it let me know how far Latinos still have to go to be portrayed in accurate representations of what our country is. And there's a lot more education that still needs to be done. I think from the lens of the average black person, I think, we, like you said, we've talked about this. I think black people, not unlike the rest of the country, okay? And you said even Latinos themselves, yeah, they've kind of been looped in together. If you're Latino, you'll go to the Puerto Rican Day Parade, even if you're not Puerto Rican, because it's right. Latino culture. So for the most part, and we could get into the political underpinnings of are you Hispanic or non-Hispanic, whatever that means, <laughs> filling out the census and whatnot. Do you speak Spanish? And like, if you speak Spanish, like you're that part of this segment of the population. So I think that's one thing. The perception is like monolithic. Yeah, you could be Mexican or you could be Puerto Rican. Anything else, they don't even know what it means. But that's so, the reality, that right? We're monolithic to everyone outside of the Latino culture. I'm sure Asians think the same thing about us, that we're all just like a monolithic culture because we all speak Spanish. Again, that's what I think. I think so contextually, I think that's like the society we live in in terms of how people see Latinos. Right. I think in terms of humor, comedy, clearly the ethnicity, the idea of embracing the ethnicity. It's, if there was a Latino character, he'd come in, there'd be a strumming of a guitar. You know what I mean? <laughs> or your favorite Latino Casanova voice. Exactly. <laughs> I am Emilio Del, whatever it is. So I'm just saying those are kind of devices. Normal, it is. I'm just saying those are comedic devices. People get it. If You know, whatever. There's certain comedy things right. that if you're Latino, you probably could be offended. Or like you said, you may just go along to it. You're just used to it. Like you said, the first time you saw it, it didn't even occur to you. I didn't even notice it. The, you didn't even notice it. I was it. part so of the humor. Think, and then you watch it critically right. and boom, you're like, you look. It's not that I was offended because I'm not Mexican or Guatemalan or Puerto Rican, but I think that the Latino existence in the United States, you think as a Latino that you have, that people are educated enough, that they've gone to school and graduated universities and had Latino friends that they just know. And no, I wrote an article about this on showbizcafe.com about how white editors, and there was a, this was about the Shakira Piquet thing. And how white editors usually pick out like the most salacious shit from Latino culture. That was an ugly divorce. And that ugliness was covered by mainstream media. But then you put something that is culturally significant and it's boring. So then what does that say about creators and stereotypes? How long will creators understand that maybe you need to put in a little bit more creative effort? to make that boring thing entertaining. Before we end this segment here, as we've been talking about cultural significance, you asked me in the last segment about whether I'm more comfortable seeing brown women be raunchy versus white women be raunchy. So I want to know, are, are you more comfortable seeing brown or black women be raunchy than white women be raunchy first of all no one's ever asked see, me that you see so you gotta think about it. you gotta think about it you gotta think about it <laughs> i do i do because is it skin color that makes it funny i think that's the big elephant in the room question is that does white skin raunch comedy make me feel like i should laugh harder hardier huh 
Or does that black skin, because it's black skin, then it's not as fun. Let me tell you something. Both movies, Bridesmaids and Girls Trip, were equivalently funny to me. And I would have to say that as much as I thought that no other movie could top the raunch, at least the female raunch of Bridesmaid, and I'm reminded of that scene where Jada Pinkett gets caught, like right in the middle of that glide rope, uh, and then urinates over everybody. And... That to me was so crazy. I felt like one of those people in there when that moment happened. And I was like, wow, that was so, so funny. And there were hilarious moments like that. The Tiffany Haddish moment was very disturbing, yet extremely funny because she made that seem so genuine and so authentic that, look, when you see raunch that makes you laugh, you know that it was well-crafted. And so these women are at the top of their game. They're comedic geniuses. And not everybody can pull these this raunch off. One of the other things about this film that I think is significant in terms of it being culturally significant and iconic is what it did for Tiffany Haddish. I think it really introduced audiences to Tiffany Haddish. Most people had never even heard of her before this film. And her character is really the standout. It's what everybody was talking about. And since then, we've seen a lot from Tiffany Haddish, but that was really an opportunity. And I think the casting of the film was important. I think you mentioned before, Queen Latifah's history. I think she brings that to a film. Like a lot of great actors, like we know who this person is. You enjoy who they are and you enjoy the kind of characters they play. So I think casting her and then casting her with Jada Pinkett, who they haven't been in a film together since Set It Off, which is another black classic. And there's even a little nod to Set It Off in the film. One of the characters says it to the other. If you saw the film and you know Set It Off, you caught that moment. So there are things like that, I think, that are sort of almost meta about that kind of casting, about putting Queen Latifah mm -hmm. with somebody like that and having all these characters interact and just seeing these friendships. We as an audience develop a relationship with actors. That's just what it is, especially comedic actors. And I think we have a relationship with Jada Pinkett. We have a relationship with Queen Latifah. And I think to a large extent, there, there was in a relationship with Regina Hall. I think they're all much more well-known figures, but I think Tiffany Haddish, not only did she shine, but she was like out of nowhere. And you just enjoyed seeing them all bounce off of her. Dude, she was announcing the Oscar nominations a few years ago. She broke through in a way where she was everywhere man like the other day i saw her at the airport i was heading out to la and tiffany haddish is like right there just by herself no one else and i'm going wow what a superstar nobody around her and i'm just saying to myself what is it in particular that has made her such a star to me i think what makes her a star is the same thing that makes a star it's presence and likability. There are certain actors who you like them, whether they're playing a bad person, whether they're playing a villain, 
whether they're playing killer, you still like them. You enjoy them. Christopher Walken, you know, I mean, he could play the worst criminal, whatever. You still enjoy him because of who he is. And I think Tiffany Haddish has that quality, you know, like a Richard Pryor, like an Eddie Murphy, where they're just likable. You like them no matter what the role they're playing, but then you also enjoy just how unabashedly silly and foolish that they are. And that's <laughs> right. Tiffany Haddish. She was, she just went with that performance. She just went there. She didn't care. When you see an actor, whether it's in a comedy or a drama, who doesn't give a fuck, they're just going for it. You enjoy it. You're yeah. brought, like you applaud because they gave you a performance. They gave you something you just, you don't see every day. And I think that so, is, to me, that's part of the appeal. I'm just going to ask you straight up. When you saw the banana grapefruit scene. Let's talk about fruit, guys. Not talking pineapples, apples, or oranges. I'm talking grapefruit. Y'all ain't never grapefruited before? You should talk to Tiffany about grapefruit. I'm basically teaching my girls some new tricks on how to uh, be more unique in the bedroom. Get the grapefruit, right? I don't know if you know this about grapefruit. You cut the ends off like so. They're high in vitamin C. Then you cut a hole in the middle. They are a fat burner. You place that on this like that. And you can use grapefruits on a man. Give him a vitamin C exfoliant type of situation. I have no idea how Latifah and Jada were able to keep straight faces for any of that. <laughs> when you saw that scene, were you offended, disturbed? What went through your mind and who did you see that scene with? I don't remember who I saw it with the first time, but the, this time I watched it. I watched it with a couple friends and it's an outrage. Were women so, in that group? Were women in that group? Uh, there was a woman there. There was a woman in the group and they okay. laughed. Uh huh. Again, I think it's like any kind of raunchy thing, like either raunch humor, either you blush from raunch humor or you laugh or you're disgusted. Right. So I think one of those three uh, reactions is what you're going to get. And I think you said her. Performance I think I got honest. all three of them. You think you got all three? You said a performance was honest. I'd like to know how you know. But I do think that <laughs> it was unabashed. And, yeah. and that, that's what it was raw. Let me put it that's to you this way. I felt it was an NC-17 typographic, a very accurate representation of what it could have been. But I, I think we should just leave it there. <laughs> what it could have been. I see, Jack. Mike, a little while ago, you mentioned that you knew Malcolm Lee, the director of Girls Trip. How do you know him? And what did you think of his direction for this film? What did he bring to the film that you felt only Malcolm could bring? The way I know Malcolm is because we started at the same time, both making films, both making romantic comedies. At the time I made my first film was a film called Personals. The star of my film, Malik Yoba, had gotten a script for Personals. They were offering him a role, but he ended up not doing the role. He was doing my film at the time, but a couple things happened for me with when he made his film, the best man at the time, the best man, black comedies fit into a box. You either had what they call the hood comedy Friday, I'm gonna get you, sucker. 
house party, you know, that kind of comedy. Or you had, you know, an Eddie Murphy led big budget. He's the only black character in it kind of thing. Beverly Hills so, Cop. So, Beverly Hills Cop. So there really wasn't the intelligent romantic black comedy where the characters are adults and you didn't just go for the laugh. There are funny things in it, but I think one of the strengths of Malcolm with that film and what it did for the genre is that he has an ability to shift between comedy and drama. It's a tone thing. And I think it's something he was able to strike with his first film and he's only gotten better over time. And I think the hands of a lesser director, even with the cast and the script that it has, you know, a girl strip could have come across as just puerile or just raunch for the sake of raunch. So there are definitely raunchy things in there, but I think that ability to mine comedy out of a scene and drama out of a scene and utilize actors to their best effect, I think the casting of Tiffany Haddish says it all. Absolutely. I think that's what he brings to it. Ladies, I made something very special for us this weekend. Bam! Look like a bedazzler threw up on that thing. What? This is very fashionable. It's up today and yesterday. It's very retro. How about we save it for the last night of our lives? No. <laughs> <laughs> or donate it to the My Little Pony Motorcycle Club. <laughs> okay. I put a lot of man hours into these jackets. Now, see, that's not the kind of man hours we need you putting in, Lisa Lisa. Okay. Oh. And two, Sasha? Yes, you need to be bedazzling some... <laughs> so the writing here clearly is top notch. Kenya Barris, Tracy Oliver is the first black female screenwriter to pen a 100 million plus grossing film. What was it about the writing that they got right? I think it's all the things we discussed. I think that the nature of friendships, the nature of female friendships, the nature of black female fed friendships, the relationships that, that women have with men and how it affects their lives. Like if you get hurt, you may retreat and be a character like uh, the Jada Pinkett character. Or if you're trying to achieve something, you may want to pretend things are okay when they're not, like the Regina Hall character. So I think the impact that they have on each other as friends and then the impact that life has on them and the impact that, that the male relationships in their life has on them. And the real, real strongest important part is how important it is to have female friends who have your back, who are watching out for you, who are reminding you. I think that's across the board with all friendships. I mean, you got to have friends who are going to be like, Jack, don't do this. This is not the best move. Or Jack, listen, I don't know what you're hesitating for. You need friends yeah. who are going to be there who don't have an agenda other than what's best for you. And that's not always easy to find. I think, especially with women, I think women don't always, and I hear this a lot from women, they, it's hard to find friends who are like really there, who really want you to succeed as much as they want themselves to succeed. They don't have a different agenda. They're not competing with you for the attention of men or anything like that. And these women don't compete with each other. And I think that's a very strong part of their relationship. They're there for each other. They're not competing with each other. And that's not something you always see on screen either. And it's something you've never seen on screen with, not on the big screen anyway, black women. I wanted to get back to the point that we spoke a little while ago about does a black comedy like girls trip does it need to reach a broader wider audience and what we mean by that is white people latinos latinos are the number one movie going demographic in the united states and i've never seen a black film targeted towards a latino audience i don't think it's ever existed they do not make films for us 
And interestingly, when William Levy was in the film, listen, we go back to this thing. He's the thirst. He's the stereotype. 2017, man. Queen Latifah is just looking at him as the Latino lover. So sexy. Hey, we need to get a Latino lover in here. William Levy. And I'm sure William Levy doesn't want to do that job. But they're probably paying him good money. They could pay me. We're to put be in a position. <laughs> right. But you know, as an actor, and I've interviewed William Levy. And I've asked him questions like this where he's like, look, I don't want to be a Latino Brad Pitt. I want to be seen as a real actor. Secondly, why did white audiences go see Girls Trip? Let me reframe that. Why did movie-going audiences embrace Girls Trip? Because, yes, Latinos may over-index, but white is a dominant culture. You ask why they don't make black films directed towards Latinos. I think that'll come. I think eventually there will be the Afro-Latino. There'll be the crossover. There'll be the film with that cast. Hopefully that's coming and coming soon. But that being said, again, why did they embrace this film that year and not Rough Night? Why? Because it was good. It was a good movie. It was funny. It was funny. It was well-written. It worked. There are movies where you see the movie and it doesn't matter. It's got big name Scarlett Johansson probably commands more money than everybody in that film. Okay. But that movie bombed because it's not about Scarlett Johansson, but everybody knew Tiffany Haddish by the end of the year. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there is a level that you can reach of quality that eclipses whatever box the film may have been set up to be in. New Orleans is a very unique city. There's no American city like it. It's the Vegas of the South. Everybody knows how much fun New Orleans is as a city. So, Mike, as we come into our last segment to analyze the bonus features that are part of the disc, there is no alternative ending here, but what there are, it's a lot of cut deleted scenes and extras that they put on content that you ask yourself, why wasn't that included in the movie? Now there are some particular standouts. And I'm not sure if you saw one in particular, but there's this one deleted scene with Mike Coulter, who plays Stuart Regina Hall's husband in the movie. And it's him essentially begging her to come back. I'm in it for real. No more bullshit. Just you and me. And they cut out the whole thing. And I'm going, why did they cut that scene out? Let me just give a context here, because I'm a big fan of deleted scenes and extended scenes and director's commentary, because I think it gives you insight not only how the film could have been, but in many ways, but how it's been carved out of just the best is what's left. So... It's like what Michelangelo said, the statue is inside the stone. He just releases it. And I think part of the editing process is honing it down. My view on filmmaking is that a film is really directed three times. You know, when you're writing it, you know, whether you're the director or not, you're directing it in your head. It's all being played out. And a second time, it's getting directed on set. You're working with the actors and getting everything. And then the third time you direct it in the editing room. So I think... A, sometimes it's about pacing. And I think in the case of the Mike Coulter scene, it's their movie. They're, you've got four characters and they're the focus. And I don't think you need to know why he's doing what he's doing. Sometimes you have a scene where 
it's explaining something. But if you pay attention to the movie, it's the actor. If it's a good actor, the way they look, the way they deliver a line can tell you a lot more. And you don't really need it. Mm. It slowed down the film. So sometimes you mm. may have a whole, there's a famous story about Clint Eastwood. When he did The Man With No Name, there was all this dialogue and he just cut it out. He convinced the director to cut it all out. So he has very little dialogue and that became one of his things. And I think overall, very often, if you can get an actor to portray the character, to believe in the character, and I think Mike Coulter's great, you totally, I totally buy him as that character. I don't think he needed it. And I think that, like you said, why give screen time to the men? It's a girl's trip. Yeah, but you'd think that dudes would play more of a of a meteor role, but I, I guess not, man. Well, guess you see, here's so. the thing. He had a meteor role. It was in the script. It just got cut. It just got cut? <laughs> it just got cut. Thanks for tuning in to the Brown and Black Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Girls Trip. For us, this was a heartfelt and humorous film that celebrates the bonds of friendship and the power of personal growth. With this amazing cast, lively cinematography, and catchy soundtrack, the film provides a powerful reminder of the importance of maintaining close relationships with those who matter most. The film's themes of friendship, sisterhood, and personal growth are relatable timeless making it a standout comedy drama that will resonate with audiences for years to come we also want to remind you that you can own girls trip on digital or disc and for those who want to stay updated on upcoming movies sign up for universal pictures home entertainment email list to get sneak peeks at upcoming movies you can visit uphe.com slash news and that's it for this special episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Torado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and now on YouTube. In the next episode, we'll be analyzing the critically acclaimed film, Queen and Slim. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.